Podcast. I'm your host, A.B. And this week on Mama Murdered a Podcast, we're continuing our spooky, scary journey in honor of Halloween. I have a very special episode planned for the day of Halloween. So on the week of Halloween, you'll get your episode a day early so that you'll be able to listen to that episode on the day of Halloween instead of having to wait until Wednesday, which would be the day after Halloween. So I'm excited for that, but I'm also excited for today's episode because if you follow me on TikTok, then you would have seen that I've gotten quite a few videos of kids who were avid listeners of the podcast, and they just wanted to let me know. So when I got these videos, I asked the kids in those videos what they wanted to hear this week. It could be anything spooky or scary or even Halloween related, and they chose something haunted. And one thing about me is I love a good haunting. So Hunter, Lucas, this one's for y'all. Thank you so much for being the biggest little fans in the world. And I know that this is normally where I tell y'all what I'm covering and give you like a brief rundown, but since we're doing a haunting in honor of Halloween, I figured I'd leave it a mystery for just a little bit longer than normal. So with all that being said, and without further ado, let's get it. I'm going to start this haunted case off in the first place that you'd start with any kind of ghost encounters or even any kind of possession, and that will forever and always be Ed and Lorraine Warren. May they rest in peace. But Ed and Lorraine Warren were often referred to as two of the most prolific paranormal investigators of the 20th century. Ed and Lorraine were a husband and wife duo that will forever be my idea of couple goals. And they both worked on thousands of different hauntings and investigations. But some of their more super well-known hauntings are cases such as The Conjuring House, which we all know, there have been several movies based upon that, along with the hauntings of the Perrin family that happened in the Conjuring House, which I do also plan to cover these at at some point, but I like to just sprinkle the ghost stories in because this is a true crime podcast. You know, we like to keep it on brand. The Warrens also worked on other huge cases of paranormal hauntings or demonic possessions, such as the Amityville House, the Annabelle Daw, and even the Enfield Poltergeist case. Ed Warren is described as a self-taught demonologist, and his abilities were described in his own words as being able to see things that weren't ever able to be explained away logically. Ed also explains in an interview that he's one of only seven demonologists in the country that are religious and or spiritual, and he was a devout Catholic. And then he goes on to say that he feels like he was born a demonologist, which I didn't think was a thing, but we don't question the Warrens. Lorraine Warren goes on to say about her abilities, quote, I always had something about myself I didn't understand, and that was an ability to know things through an extrasensory perception. She also goes on to say that she first noticed her abilities at about the age of nine years old. She then explained how she could sometimes see light that surrounded people, and then other times she would just somehow know things about people that she shouldn't be able to know. But she also explains that at such a young age that she didn't really understand what it was, what it meant, or what she was supposed to do with it. And I'll link this interview where I got all these quotes in the episode description in the information box below this episode so that if you want to take a look for yourself, it'll be there for you. 
Ed and Lorraine Warren had a career that spanned over a 65-year period, and the only thing they ever charged for their investigation services was the travel expense. That was it. They only charged the travel expense to get to wherever they were needed to help, and they never charged for their actual investigation into hauntings or possessions. The Warrens also established the New England Society for Psychic Research, better known as NESPRA, and they did this in 1952 to investigate and report on different hauntings that they'd cover over the years. So now let's get into how Ed and Lorraine Warren got drug into the case of Annabelle the Haunted Doll, who we are going to dive headfirst into now. So it all started in 1970 when a woman named Donna, who was a nursing student, received Annabelle the Doll as a birthday gift from her mom. And she'd gotten this gift for her 28th birthday, which seems like a weird choice for a gift, but I'm not judging. Annabelle the Daw looks like your average run-of-the-mill Raggedy Ann doll, with her face and body made of cloth and an orange-colored triangular-shaped nose with wide, solid black eyes. Her hair is made out of yarn and it's a bright red color, and on her face is a smile that is sewn on there permanently. So, like I said before, for lack of a better way to describe the way that Annabelle looks, she very much looks like your classic vintage original Raggedy Ann doll. Now, Donna shared her living space with her friend and roommate, who was a woman by the name of Angie. And after Donna was gifted Annabelle, she was super excited about adding some vintage-looking decor to their place. So, Donna would leave the doll propped up on her bed, sort of like a decoration, Like, Donna would make her bed and then just kind of leave Annabelle laying on top of the bed where her pillows would also lay. And Donna started to notice rather quickly that the way that she would leave Annabelle wasn't the same position that she would come back in later to see Annabelle in. Donna would notice that Annabelle would be left in your standard sitting position, and then the next time that she would see Annabelle, or when she would get off of work and go back into her room, the doll would have her legs crossed or... She would just be laying on the bed altogether instead of sitting upright like Donna had left her. And then other times, Donna would leave the doll sitting on the sofa in the living room or basically just anywhere that she thought that Annabelle seemed like a cute, nostalgic, household decorative piece. And the doll would just be moved to a completely different spot. And sometimes the doll would just be in a completely different room of the house altogether. So whether the doll would be in one spot in a room and then be on the complete opposite side of the room later on, or whether she was in a completely different room in the house altogether, Annabelle seemed to just kind of be moving around from spot to spot on her own accord. Shortly after Donna and her roommate Angie noticed that Annabelle seemed to be able to move on her own, the two women started finding scrap pieces of parchment paper laying around their apartment. But the parchment paper would have things written on it. And it would say things like, help me or help us. And it would always be written in a very childlike handwriting. After finding these small notes around the house, Donna and her roommate started thinking about how this could even be happening. Because the two women searched their entire apartment top to bottom, and there was absolutely no parchment paper in their apartment. And at this point, both Donna and her roommate Angie We're thinking the exact same thing that we're all probably thinking at this point. That one of the women were just trying to prank the other. But after a little process of elimination, the women kind of pieced it together 
that they both worked the same shift at the same hospital, and they were both normally home with each other after those shifts. So it would be almost impossible for either Donna or Angie to be able to pull this off without the other woman noticing or picking up on the prank before it was able to be executed. So after putting those few pieces of information together, a prank seemed like one of the least likely options. Donna would do things like bring Annabelle into the living room with herself and Angie while they would watch TV shows together or when they were in the kitchen hanging out or cooking meals together. Donna had even gotten a tiny gold child-sized bracelet to put around Annabelle's wrist. This seemed to be something that both women just thought was kind of funny until the day that they were both sitting at the table and Annabelle lifted both of her cloth arms in the air and sat them on the table, kind of in the same way that a child would do. And the doll did this as one of the women asked the doll a question, and it was almost too much of a response. I don't think they were thinking they were going to get that kind of response out of a Raggedy Ann doll. And needless to say, both women were just kind of astounded by the doll's response, but even more so intrigued with the fact that Annabelle seemed to actually understand them. And this in turn made Donna and Angie want to know more. Angie told Donna that she knew a medium, or what is oftentimes referred to as a psychic medium, which is described as someone who uses extrasensory perception to collect and identify information that would otherwise be unexplainable by natural laws. Or in layman's terms, they know shit they're not supposed to know. There we go. That'll work. So Angie has the idea to call the psychic medium over to their apartment to do like a seance type of deal. And when the psychic gets to their place, she tells Donna and Angie that there's a spirit living inside of the doll. And she then tells the women that it's the spirit of a little girl named Annabelle, which is where the name originates. The psychic then goes on to tell Angie and Donna that Annabelle was the spirit of a seven-year-old girl who was killed in a car accident right outside of their apartment which is obviously a lie because even I know that a human spirit can't inhabit an inanimate object. There is no ghost attached to your grandma's favorite rocking chair or your grandpa's old Ford truck. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. If something is attached to a physical object like that, then it's most likely a demonic presence. Or, at the very least, it's an entity with bad intentions, so neither are good. But sadly, Don and Angie didn't know this because once they thought that there was the spirit of a seven-year-old child living inside the doll, the women started treating the doll more and more like a human, which is only going to make things worse overall. Because now they're acknowledging the fact that there is something there, which would make the entity stronger. Now, Donna and Angie weren't the only ones living in this apartment together. Donna's boyfriend, Lou, also lived there with the two women. But Lou never even bothered to try to entertain the fact that there was some kind of spirit in this doll. Basically, Lou called bullshit from the very beginning. 
And that seems to be one thing that really pisses a demon off is not being believed about how powerful they truly are. So Lou was laying on the couch in the living room area with Donna sitting at the other end of the couch. Lou dozed off as one does while they lay on a couch, or at least that's what happens to me. And during this short nap, Lou dreamt that Annabelle was at his feet and that she then started crawling up his body. Now in this dream, Lou also said that once Annabelle got about to his chest area, that she wrapped her cloth hands around his neck and was trying to strangle him. But when Lou woke up, Donna could see that he was out of breath and his breathing was increasing pretty rapidly, so she asked him what was wrong. Lou told Donna that he had just had the weirdest dream, and he explained how he dreamed that Annabelle was climbing up his body and that she was trying to strangle him. And then probably out of frustration and pure fear, Lou picked Annabelle up and he shook her, telling her that she was just an old rag doll, and he then kind of taunted her by telling her that she couldn't hurt anybody and then he just threw her across the room. Now, as soon as Lou finished that sentence and threw the doll across the room, Donna noticed blood coming through Lou's shirt. When Lou lifted his shirt up to see why he was bleeding, Donna and Lou both could see seven scratch marks going down Lou's stomach area. Four of the scratch marks were going horizontally down Lou's stomach, and the other three scratch marks were going vertically down Lou's stomach. And this was the very first time that any of them thought that maybe this wasn't actually the spirit of some sweet, innocent seven-year-old girl who died outside of their apartment building. They were all kind of figuring now that it had to be something a little more sinister than that. Donna and Angie tried calling a priest or someone higher up the chain of religion, hoping that they would know what to do, but none of them did. The women did finally get in touch with somebody who told them to get in touch with Ed and Lorraine Warren. And after the women explained to the Warrens what was happening, Ed and Lorraine agreed to come and help. Now, the Warrens didn't come empty-handed, though. They also brought along a Catholic priest. Luckily, the priest was able to bless and exorcise any demons out of the house, but Ed and Lorraine Warren both believe that the Da held a demonic force who was on the prowl for a human host. And they also believed that the demonic force was already in the end stages of being able to take possession over one of the three roommates' human bodies. Donna and Angie both agreed that they didn't want to keep Annabelle anymore, so they asked Ed and Lorraine if they could just take the doll with them. And the Warrens told the three roommates that they could take the doll back to their occult museum, and that's where they would keep her. Now, before we go any further, let me explain what this is. Ed and Lorraine have an occult museum in this massive part of the basement in their house where they live. And over the 65 years of paranormal investigations and hauntings that they've helped with, they've accumulated hundreds of cursed and haunted objects from people in similar situations to the situation that Donna and Angie were in. And they accumulated so much stuff over the years, and that basement still to this day holds some of the world's most haunted and cursed objects. And yes, I want to go so bad. But now back to the timeline that we were on, because Ed and Lorraine would soon learn that even just driving home with Annabelle in the back seat of the Warren's car, that even proved to be tricky. Because the entire drive from Donna and Angie's apartment, the Warren's car was jerking and stalling and stopping at random, and the brakes were just randomly going out and not working out together. And this was something that the car had never done before, so there was really no explanation besides Annabelle. 
That was really the only thing that they could come up with as to why their car would all of a sudden be malfunctioning. And the car continued to act like this until Ed finally got fed up with the shenanigans and he pulled the car over. Ed went to the back seat where Annabelle was sitting and he took out a small vial of holy water that he always carried on his person. Ed sprinkled the doll with holy water. He did the sign of the cross and he said the Our Father prayer over the doll before he got back behind the wheel. And thankfully, the Warrens were able to make it home safely after that. But when Ed and Lorraine got back home with the doll, they would leave Annabelle sitting in the house and both Ed and Lorraine claimed that the doll would just levitate on its own and that even when they would lock the doll inside of one room of their house, that she would always be found later in a completely different spot. Sometimes not even in the locked room still. And when the Warrens decided to take Annabelle into the basement, into their museum, they placed the doll in a chair inside of the museum, and they strung a piece of yellow tape in front of the doll. The tape said danger, and it had a sign that said, not, you know, ask people not to touch. And they left her like that in that corner for a while. This setup seemed to work fine until one day Ed and Lorraine's friend came over for lunch. The friend of the Warrens that came over for lunch was also a priest, and after lunch, the priest asked Ed if he could walk him down into the basement because he wanted Ed to show him this supposedly haunted doll that he had heard so much about because the priest had heard about Lou being scratched by this doll. When the priest and Ed got down into the basement, Ed's kind of relaying what happened to Donna and Angie and about how Lou had been scratched. And then midway through explaining what happened, the priest reached over the tape that said danger and he picked Annabelle up. The priest held the doll up to meet his own eye level and he told Annabelle that God was more powerful than a thousand demons or a thousand devils. And he just kind of tossed Annabelle across the room, much in the same sense that Lou had done when he'd gotten scratched seven times. Ed kind of just asked why the priest would do something like that because Ed had very clearly warned the priest before they ever went down into the basement that he shouldn't touch anything in the basement for any reason. The priest tells Ed that he'll be fine because his God is more powerful than any demonic force and Ed agrees. Ed is super religious. But Ed also tells the priest that God is also more powerful than any human or even any priest. And he tells the priest that he wished he would have just never touched the doll. Ed and the priest go back upstairs, and the priest heads out after they say their goodbyes. Now, this is probably a good time for me to mention that the priest was driving a brand new car, but he never made it back to where he was going once he left Ed and Lorraine's house. You know, after he touched through and taunted the Annabelle doll. Right after pulling out of Ed and Lorraine's driveway, The priest was headed back to wherever he was going when he lost control of his car and got into a pretty bad car accident. Now, it was a few days after this accident that the priest called Ed to tell him about the car accident. And as the priest was explaining what happened to Ed over the phone, the priest tells Ed that the last thing that he remembered seeing before he lost control of the car was the image of the Annabelle doll in his rearview mirror. Stop it right now. That is scary as shit. So after this accident, Ed and Lorraine had a case made to put Annabelle in, and it's got like wooden trimming with glass on all four sides so that you could still see Annabelle but not be able to touch her even if you wanted to. So Annabelle was placed in a wooden framed case with glass on all four sides, like I said. But I guess that case only helped so much because there was another incident that happened 
with a visitor who came into the occult museum that Ed and Lorraine opened in their home. This guy came in with his girlfriend and a group of his college classmates. This guy was in the crowd of people as Ed was talking. When Ed starts telling the crowd about the marks that Annabelle had put on Lou, this guy comes walking through the crowd of people and kind of starts tapping on the glass. He looks directly at Annabelle and tells the doll that if she can really put scratches on people, that he wants the doll to put much scratch marks on him to prove it. Ed had already asked everyone before they ever went down into the basement not to touch anything, but he specifically warned them not to touch the Annabelle doll or the case that Annabelle was in. So, Ed had to ask this guy and his girlfriend to leave the museum after this. And even as the guy was walking out of the basement of the museum, he was still kind of taunting the doll and just blatantly being disrespectful. That same guy was killed on his motorcycle in an accident just hours after he had to be asked to leave the museum for taunting and being disrespectful towards Annabelle inside of the Warrens Museum. Now, both this guy and his girlfriend were on the motorcycle when the accident happened. And the girlfriend thankfully lived, but she was hospitalized for months and months after this accident. The girlfriend later did an interview and recalled that the last thing that she remembered before the crash was that she and her boyfriend were still kind of jokingly talking about Annabelle the doll. It's also said that the girlfriend noticed some scratches on her boyfriend's neck or back right before the accident happened. And one thing that this particular guy had asked Annabelle to do in order to prove how quote-unquote real she was, was to scratch him. So, this tracks. One more thing that I saw about this accident was something that I wasn't able to actually verify anywhere, but I did see it in a few places, and if it's true, it's creepy. So, a few places I saw that when the girlfriend came to after this accident and was being pushed away on a stretcher to be taken to the hospital, that when she looked over at the scene of the accident, that she saw Annabelle sitting on the wrecked motorcycle and that the doll was smiling and waving at the girlfriend. Like I said, if this is true, this is creepy as hell. So all of this is either one hell of a coincidence or Annabelle really did not like the way that this man spoke to her. But also, remember when I said that Donna and her roommate Angie called a medium out to their place and that the psychic medium told them, that the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle, and that Annabelle had passed away at a young age because of a fatal accident. Do you see how the correlation of this story is, like, so uncanny? Both of them passing an accident, both of them pretty young, both of them involving Annabelle, supposedly. So, some of the tools that the Warrens used during their more than 10,000 paranormal investigations were prayers, holy water, and a strong Catholic religion. But out of all of those cases and all of those investigations, multiple people have reported that Annabelle the doll that sits in the glass box is one of the things that they would be most frightened of out of the multiple, multiple haunted and cursed objects that are held in the Warrens Museum. The Warren's son-in-law, Tony, has taken over the museum since Ed and Lorraine's passing, and he does everything the exact same way that the Warrens did things. But he did have a chance to learn from the best. So, if at any point Annabelle needs to be moved for whatever reason, all of the people who will be touching Annabelle all wear thick gloves like you would use for welding. And then if the case that she now lives in needs any kind of repairs 
The lead investigator that works with Tony, who, remember, is the Warren's son-in-law, will use wood stain to restain the wood surrounding Annabelle's case. But the wood stain is mixed with holy water that has been blessed by a priest. And on the back part of the case that Annabelle's kept in, the Our Father prayer is written there, and there are multiple, multiple crosses surrounding all sides of Annabelle's case. The small golden bracelet that Donna had bought and put on Annabelle's wrist is still on the dial to this day, and it can be seen on display inside of the case where Annabelle now lives. And sadly, I think that's all I have for you this week. I was lucky enough to be able to even find time to record this short episode this week. Our tiny town is having the biggest event of the year that we host every year that is happening this Saturday. Me and my husband rented a vendor's booth for his HVAC company, and I have been running around like a chicken with my head cut off all freaking week trying to make sure that we have everything we need to take with us. So next week, we'll be back to our regular length episode. But before we go, let's take a look at the review of the week. This review can be found on Apple Podcast, and it comes from the username Mileage Master. This review is five stars, and it says, I, oh my gosh. Okay, I just pick these at random usually, and the first line is going to make me cry. Okay, it says, I've been listening to true crime podcasts for years and years. And as much as I love Crime Junkie, Morbid, and That's Why We Drink, and Necronomapod, Mama Murdered a Podcast is it for me. She's funny without taking away from the cases. She covers the harder topics that some other pods won't cover. And she's well-researched, and her accent just brings it all together for a perfect listening experience. You won't regret it. Just got to give it a try. Thank you so much. Those are... A few of my favorite podcasts, actually. Um, so that is, like, one of the biggest honors. I'm so excited right now. I'm probably going to pin this <laughs> on my social media. Don't judge me. Okay? Okay. Also, don't remember about the week of Halloween. The episode will be out on Tuesday instead of Wednesday, just so you can listen to it on Halloween Day instead of having to wait until the day after Halloween. Like I said, that episode is going to be a special one. If you've been here a while, you may be you may get where I'm going with this, but we'll see. Uh, so let's do it again. Same time, same place, next Wednesday. See you then. That's how my mama murdered a podcast.